You're listening to A Slice of Therapy with me, Alan Parry. So a friend of mine gave me an invite. It's going back a couple of years now. Gave me an invite and said, why don't you come round here? I'll do you some dinner and then we can hang out and have a chat. And I thought, well, that sounds that sounds lovely. So I accepted. And then my friend said, he said, well, what is it, Al, that you would like to eat? And I said, oh, anything. And he said, anything. And I said, yeah, I'll eat anything. Now, when I told my friend that I'd eat anything, it's not strictly true. For a start, I've been vegetarian for about 34 years. And so he would really have been within his rights that when I showed up on that Friday evening, that there's a nice plate of liver and onions waiting for me. And I wouldn't have ate it because even though I told him, oh yeah, I'll eat anything. I didn't actually mean it. I was placing a lot of mental labour on my friend to remember the fact that I'm vegetarian. And so that when I said I'll eat anything, what I really meant was anything vegetarian. But I didn't say that. It would have been understandable if he'd have heard that I'd eat anything, especially when he questioned me. Anything? Yeah, anything. That he might think, oh, that's interesting. Al's not a vegetarian anymore. He's now an omnivore. So uh, I'll welcome him back to the meat-eating fold with a plate of liver and onions. That would have been a reasonable assumption to make, given the fact that I'd told him that I'd eat anything. Now, even if I wasn't a vegetarian, it still wasn't true to say that I'd eat anything. If I'd have got there and he'd given me a nice big plate of gravel and a man's hat, I wouldn't have had that either. And he still would have been able to say, well, I'm sorry, Al, but you said you'd, you'd eat anything. Now, thankfully, what actually happened is that he contacted me again a couple of days before and said, we're thinking of doing mushroom stroganoff. How would that suit you? Now, here's the thing. Whenever I go to, uh, to eat out, and I look for what the vegetarian option is. In quite a lot of places, there's only one option, and it's mushroom-based, and I can't stand mushrooms. I find them slimy, I don't like the texture. And while I'm okay with a bit of mushroom being in a wider dish, a food that's based on mushrooms, like mushroom stroganoff, I wouldn't have enjoyed that at all. And so once again... No matter how sincerely or even how much he knew about my vegetarianism, he still could have ensured that I'd have shown up that night and I'd have had a food that I didn't actually want. And not just that I didn't want, but I actively wouldn't have wanted and probably would have found really quite difficult to eat. You know, I'd have been throwing down the drinks of water to try and get this this unpleasant food to me anyway. 
uh, into my belly. And yet his response would have been entirely sincere. If I'd have said to him anything, even if he'd interpreted it as he means anything vegetarian. Because what I really meant is anything vegetarian, but not mushrooms. And in fact, when I think about it, I also mean keep the sprouts away as well. So as I was thinking about this event, just yesterday, I was I was just remembering it. And I couldn't help but wonder, do we do this in life? Kind of a lot of the time. Are there people like my friend was really keen to ensure that my needs are met? And yet by making vague and unspecific requests of them. That I actually transform their energy. Which is based on a desire to meet my needs and give me what I most want. And tragically, that really vague request ensures that I get the absolute opposite. One of the great benefits of making a very specific request of somebody else is that it makes it really clear to them about what they can do or say that would best meet your needs. Because just like my friend there, if I'd have said to him, for instance, I'd really like pasta, I'd have gotten pasta because my friend really wanted to give me what I needed. And pasta was something that he would have found quite easy to deliver. And so when we make a specific request, we massively increase our chances of getting what it is that we want, especially when we're making that request of someone whose energy and desire is sincerely aimed towards offering that. But there's another big benefit about making our requests specific is that it actually helps us to clarify what we mean by these vague words that we say. When we say, I just want you to love me, what does that mean in practice? If there was a video camera watching the scene, what would the video camera see that would demonstrate that that person was meeting that request? There's often things in, in interpersonal relationships of all kinds where one person thinks they're meeting the other one's needs, but the other one knows that they're not. And yet there's no specificity between them that can clarify that and actually make it happen. There's many kind of relationships where a partner will say, I just want you to listen to me. And the other one says, well, I do. But to the person who doesn't feel listened to, their need is not being met. And so it can help sometimes, a lot of the time, in fact, to kind of clarify for ourselves first. What is it that we actually want? It's a little bit like when writers say, I don't know what I think, 
until I sit there at the typewriter. And in the same way, we don't fully know what it is that we want to happen to meet our needs until we've asked ourselves the question. So if we create this habit in ourselves to be very specific in our requests to other people, the first step of being able to actually say that to the other person, the first step is to find out for ourselves and go deep within ourselves and really discover and find out what is that for me? What does that mean to meet this need? What is the specific thing that I want? Now, as I think of this, I'm thinking of a... uh, a book that's just come to mind by somebody called Gary Chapman. And it's all about the five love languages. And when we think of the five love languages, what they are, are particular ways that people feel loved. And of course, we could choose any example. It doesn't have to be around love. But it's a, it's a good illustration, this book, of how different people mean being loved as a very, very different thing. So for instance, some people like quality time. So when they spend time with someone, that's when they really feel loved and valued. For other people, touch is essential. And so if their partner never touches them, then they really feel that absence and it feels like they're not being loved. Other people like acts of service. So, for instance, going and washing your car would be the very thing that would make that person feel most loved. Another person would really like gifts. And so coming in with having thought of that person and just stopped off somewhere and brought in a little gift for them would make their heart fill up. So there's all these different kinds of love languages. The fifth one is words of affirmation. Actually telling them what it is you like about them. And if those words of affirmation are not there, then they don't feel loved. And it's interesting because it illustrates the point that I've just made. Let's say, for instance, that there are two people, one of which their love language is quality time. And the other one, their love language is gifts. Now, the one who wants gifts naturally thinks that the way to show love is to give gifts. And so they don't necessarily spend quality time with their partner, but they shower them with gifts and then are very confused and puzzled why their partner proclaims that they don't feel loved. So when their partner says, I want you to show that you love me, this person is scratching their head and thinking, but I do. This person is scratching their head and thinking, do you not notice all these gifts I'm giving you? And yet the other is craving something else entirely. And so this is a perfect example that rather than just using these vague terms, which amount in very similar ways 
to me telling my friend that I'd eat anything. It really helps to make it specific. What if that person knew that these gifts didn't do it for their partner, but what was much more valuable is to spend an hour of time? If that person was sincerely trying to make the other feel loved as they are, they would stop with the gift buying and they would spend time with them instead. Now, it's no great fault in ourselves to be vague about our requests, but it is tragic. And it's not our fault, really, because I don't think there's a lot of emphasis. We don't have a lot of training in terms of finding out what it is that we need, naming the emotion that we feel, identifying what it is specifically that could meet our needs. And I think this kind of emphasis on discovering and looking into ourselves to find out what it is we specifically want in order to meet our needs. I don't think we're particularly trained in that. And so when it comes to actually doing it, it's really common to not know in the first instance. And like I said earlier, that's a big reason why I think making specific requests of other people is really important. First of all, it removes the tragedy of having somebody desperate to meet your needs and yet not doing so simply because they lack the information of how best to do that for you. And secondly, it helps us actually get in touch with that really powerful place within us where we get to find out what does that look like? If I were to get that connection that I need, what does that look like if this meets my need for autonomy? What does that look like if this meets my need for beauty or order or any other need that you can think of? There's a real danger, I suppose, and a real tragedy that there's somebody out there who's invited us for dinner of a Friday night with the sole intent to make us a meal that we would adore. And yet, they end up serving us mushroom stroganoff. So that's my invite to you. When you're coming to try to get a need met, think of it like the London Marathon. Whenever someone gets that medal for having run the London Marathon, there is a very specific thing that they have to do. They have to run 26 miles and we actually can observe them crossing that finish line. What is the equivalent of that day to day, moment to moment, when you notice that there is a need, very real, valuable, important need and all needs are, that you would like to be met. What's your, what's your London Marathon version of that? What's that thing which is specific, actionable, observable even by a third party? So that not only do the other person know exactly what they need to do in order to meet that for you, but also you know as well when it's been met.
If you found this episode useful, please do share it so others can get the benefit as well. And if you'd like to work with me directly, I'm Alan Parry, and you can find out more about how I work at liverpoolpsychotherapy.co.uk. And of course, you don't have to be local to me because I work 100% online, so you can be based absolutely anywhere. Also, I want to let you know about a free video course that I've put together for you, and it's called Childhood Trauma Gone for Good. And it shows you how your trauma can now be completely eliminated. You can get that video series completely free. Just go to a sliceoftherapy.com forward slash free. And please subscribe to the podcast as well because this is free too. And it means that you'll never miss an episode again. So thanks for listening and I'll see you again on the next one.